time to begin. Good evening. It's time to begin our five o'clock class, and it is always a pleasure to gather with you and to open our Bibles and study. We are in Psalm 119, and we're going to be looking specifically tonight at verses 33 through 40. Psalm 119 is laid out in sections of eight verses. It is actually, of course, a psalm, a song, and those eight verses are what we would typically refer to as stanzas. But as we study it, we're not going to sing it as a song, though I imagine that would be quite beautiful. But we're going to study, study it as a section of text that allows us to see the Word of God in every aspect that God has revealed it to us, given it to us, and in every aspect in which it uh, is available to us as a part of our relationship to God, as it guides our lives and seeds itself in our hearts. And there is so much to look at. And um, I hope, or my, let me say it this way, my goal is not to give you the everything that's here, but to whet your interest and to cause you to want to study it some more and dig a little deeper. As we begin tonight, let's bow together in prayer. Most gracious and holy Father in heaven, we are so mindful and so grateful for your goodness and your grace. We are thankful for the opportunity that we have at this five o'clock hour to open your truth to Psalm 119 and to study it deeply. And as we study, Father, I pray that you will give me the wisdom to guide our thoughts and give each of us the desire and the wisdom to take what's there and to apply it to our hearts and to think about it more fully. Father, I also am thankful and mindful of the classes that are taking place right now in other parts of this building. Bless those classes, those teachers and those students. Fill those hearts with your grace and with your gospel. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So as we think about this particular section tonight, I want us to think about God's word, particularly uh, as it affects my particular uh, as it affects my life. Of course, like I said before, it's kind of easy or would be easy, at least for me, to fall into a trap of thinking, oh, okay, this, I don't have to really read too far into Psalm 119 because it's redundant or it's repetitive. Well, let me say this, there, are some re there is some repetition, but there is absolutely no redundancy. Redundancy is when things are repeated and they don't need to be. Things are repeated uh, kind of over and over saying the same thing. As a teacher, I, I, just recently the other day, uh, I have learned, and, and I can't help, especially now, uh, I've had people actually say, you know, you really ought not to mention your teaching and your, you know, when you're preaching. I think they were kidding, but I don't know where one stops and the other one starts. Uh, because my, my study of the Word, you know, I, I've, I've been doing this so long that it just kind of all blends together. But in uh, doing the, the new thing, the, the new uh, teaching 
uh, tool of the day is Canvas. And so as you're, you're on Canvas, I've actually learned to like it. I've learned to, to do a few things uh, that that's works. And one of those things is the discussion feature of Canvas, and I kind of like that. But in doing it, it works well for English teachers anyway. But in doing that, I had my students, my seniors discuss a section of uh, uh, the text Frankenstein that we've been reading and discussing. And, you know, it was interesting. There was this really flowing, rather nice discussion until you read it closely and realize that basically that student said the same thing four different ways. You know, said the same thing two or three different times. Um, so it sounds good if you just read over it. So, but they didn't really say anything. That's not Psalm 119. It doesn't say the same thing about God and his word over and over and over just in different ways. It may seem that way if you just read it casually or cursory, but cursorily, but you really shouldn't. When we dig into it, every section opens up an understanding about the word of God that wasn't there before that opens up an understanding about the Word of God that, that can take us more deeply into His heart and into His Word in a way that, of course, He wants us to be, and maybe we'd not thought about that before. But tonight, as we think about God's Word in my life, and I'm going to move along because there were only four parts last week, and I didn't get to number four, and there are six tonight. So I want to make sure, so some of you who are really wanting to study this may say, okay, just send me that, because you're not getting it all. And I promise I'll be glad to do that. But tonight, as we look at God's Word and how it affects my life, I want us to notice that God's Word has the ability to produce something in our lives. First of all, in verse 33, I want you to notice, Jim, where's the button for this thing over here? Thank you, sir. But first of all, in verse 33, teach me, O Lord, your ways, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Teach me the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. God's word will produce longevity. It'll produce endurance. And so we may not dig as deeply into each uh, verse here tonight. Hopefully you'll study that a little bit on your own. But I will keep it to the end. The idea of longevity, the, the idea of endurance. I think about something. Uh, that word, first of all, um, keep it to the end. If you notice in that Hebrew phrase, or in that phrase, I will keep it to the end. That will keep it to the end. Five English words is actually one word in the Hebrew. It has that whole idea wound up into that one word. And the idea... What's funny is, or interesting, is that word can also be used in relation to a person's heel. The person's heel, the very end part of a person's body. And you think, wait a minute. Think about that for a minute. It, it has the idea in the Hebrew of the last of anything. If I am laid out on the table, the crown of my head, and then at the, the very bottom part of my heel, that's the end part, oh, that's where I stop. So that word used in this text has the idea of, Lord, teach me the way of your statutes, and I will keep them, I will gather them in. They will be a part of me to the very end of everything that I am. And to the end of everything that has anything to do with me. The idea of longevity. When I take my last breath, 
when I uh, go my last mile, as we like to sing, when the very last moment of the very last opportunity for me on this side of eternity or, or time itself, I'm still going to be in the process of keeping God's way, His statutes, living it. Why? Because I haven't made that a part of me. Now, Galatians 6 and verse 9, the verse this morning, I'd already had it written down. We shall reap if we don't faint, right? Isn't that the right verse? We shall reap if reap, reap sorry, if we don't lose heart. Now, I really like that verse. When you think of the word faint, it's literally passing out. But the idea of, if you've ever thought about it, fainting or passing out physically is really not something that happens to us. It may seem like that, but a process had already begun that kind of led to that. Losing heart is what he's talking about there, and, and I won't rehash uh, that lesson this morning. It fits in perfectly here. If we, we will get to the end, we will see the reaping of the blessings of the promises of, of what's been promised to us if we don't give up, if we don't quit, if we don't run out of that which moves us along. Now, thinking about that, James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. Let's read that passage. James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. And I had forgotten how encouraging it is to hear Bibles opening. James chapter 5, 10 and 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Notice that word. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, don't take what I'm about to say the wrong way. Uh, listen to it carefully. I am not suggesting that we should not use Job as an example of how to handle hardships or difficulties or suffering, we most certainly can and most certainly should. And he said there, take the example of the prophets, but notice he said, as examples of suffering and patience. How they handled hardship, how they handled suffering, and sometimes we take the patient part as they just put up with or dealt with that suffering until it was over. But I don't think that's the lesson there. Through those difficulties, they not only were learning, but they were exhibiting their steadfastness, their patience, because they understood God's overall promise, His overall purpose. And folks, they learn that through a relationship with God, and that relationship comes through His Word. That relationship comes through God's Word that I not only read, but I not, and I not only meditate on, but I let it become a part of me, a part of my mindset, a part of how I see the world and my place in it, and God and His part or purpose in it, at least as it is revealed to me. Now think about that for a second. So God's Word produces longevity in me, endurance. And I want to, and I know some of you are already thinking, preacher, you're already, you're not going to be able to get to all six. Uh, but I, I do want to share one quick thing with you as you think about this. 
How many of you have heard the phrase, just nod your head, I know you've heard this phrase, and you may be thinking, what's that got to do with this lesson? You give a man a fish, and you feed him for a day. But you teach a man to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime. Now, you know the principle behind that, of course. Now, apply that to this, uh, to this particular lesson, this thought, this point. Sometimes we have, and maybe it's just me, in thinking about my children. Maybe being a teacher from the educational standpoint has made me change the way I see some things. But the idea is you have to do the Word of God. You have to keep the Word of God in order to go to heaven. There's nothing that is not true about that statement. But if we are not careful, we give the mentality or we approach it with the idea of let me give you the Word of God and you keep that commandment. And that's great until the understanding of that fades until I'm not in the picture to keep that person encouraged and that person has to rely on his or her own relationship with God. Think of where I'm going with this. It's interesting. Cameron, right? That's it. Okay. When you came in, it's a perfect... I'm not going to make you get up, I promise. But it's a perfect illustration because I was thinking about... Now, I tried to have a garden this summer and you know you put fertilizer and they come in 40-pound bags, right? And I'm going to be honest, I got two of them. And uh, I tried to do what I did when I was 18. I picked up both of them on both shoulders. And I was wanting to see, Lisa was out there, wanted to see how, how, how tough I was taking them to the garden. <laughs> yeah, you should laugh again because it was really that funny. But what she didn't see was the look on my face about halfway there of, this was a stupid idea. Because the pain was coming all the way, and I wasn't about to put those down. I went all the way to the garden. And I got there, but boy, I'm telling you what, it didn't, you know, this wasn't that hard 25, 30 years ago, and as hard as it is now. And you think, okay, think about this for a second. I take that 40-pound bag, I want you in your mind, if we had time, we'd illustrate it. But I pick it up. I can pick up a 40-pound bag of fertilizer, and I can hold it right here, and so can you. But I want you to imagine walking with that all the way back there, going around the corner and coming back to this point. Do you know how much pain you're going to be in before, if you can get there? Now, stop. Then I think about, when I think about a soldier, do you think that when you are, fu when you are fully geared, do you have 40 pounds of weight on you? M more most of the time. Do you, have you ever run with that on? Okay. Uh, but you can walk a long way. And I think about that. All of that weight is distributed. It's in pockets. It's in pouches. It's in a pack. It's in the front. It's in the back. It has become a part of that person. And they have learned to move with it. Now, before we completely get lost here, I want you to think about what's happening here. God's Word is not just something that I pick up. I pick it up because I recognize the importance of it and I'm going to try to, uh, it's, I'm going to let it take me. But when it gets heavy, after a while, I put it down. Why? Because I, it's never become a part of me. Now, you may go home and say, that's the dumbest illustration I've ever heard and it doesn't make sense to me. But when we let the Word of God literally become a part of who we are, we have put it inside us. 
we, it ha, we have distributed it all throughout the parts of our lives where it needs to be. We're able to carry the weight of life a whole lot further and, and hang in there and endure the difficult things. God's Word was never meant to be a, a, something that we pick up, that we have that burden, and so we carry it for a little while. We have to let it become a part of who we are. That's what he says. Teach me the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Why? Because it's become a part of who I am. And I get endurance from it. But number two, God's Word produces totality, completeness in my life. Look at verse 34. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. With my whole heart. That idea, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the matter, the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of man. I like the translation that said this is man's all, man's everything, the whole duty, the whole everything. And I think about, go to 2 Timothy 3 and verse 17. You probably don't have to. You probably can quote it. 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is given from the mouth of God by the inspiration of God and is profitable, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness and that the man of God may be complete. Thoroughly furnished to all good works. That word complete uh, literally has the idea of Completely qualified, sufficient. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Let that sink in for a minute. You mean I, as a human being, I, as a child of God, can be perfect? No, not that kind of perfect. Different word. But I can be completely qualified and sufficient? Yes. Now, careful. I'm not talking about the wrong kind of attitude because pride goes before fall and a Holy Spirit before destruction. Um, Romans 12 and verse 3 tells us not to think a man ought not think more highly of himself than should not think of himself more highly than he ought to. But according to the... So, I'm not talking about that. But according to 2 Timothy 3, 17 and the understanding of uh, completeness of this word, I can be completely qualified and sufficient to be God's person. As a Christian, now understand, before you start thinking more, uh, as my grandma would say, before you get too big for your britches, understand that immediately, the moment you separate your connection with the Word of God, you realize it was never you that was sufficient. It was never you that was completely qualified. You were only qualified because it was the Word of God that was qualifying you. You were only sufficient for the uh, work of the Lord because it was He, through His Word, that was making you sufficient. Now, doesn't that help you understand? Give me understanding. Give me the wisdom to take the time. Give me the, the, the strength or the, the clarity of, of uh, self that I will listen to your Word, that I'll spend time thinking about it, meditating on it. Why? Have you ever stopped to think about how much time that uh, Paul advised Timothy? That Timothy, it, he advised, or Paul advised Timothy, spend some time meditating, 
Spend some time thinking about. Spend some time reading. And why did Timothy need all of that? Didn't Timothy have the backup of an apostle? He did. Didn't Timothy have some other strength? He did. But Paul understood at the very heart of who we are and who we're meant to be for the long term of our service, our lives, comes from a relationship with the Word of God. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with everything that I am. My all. It reminds me of what uh, Paul said in Acts 20 and verse 27 uh, when he was talking to those elders there. And he said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. All the counsel of God. That word there means exactly that. The totality. The totality. There is a couple in our congregation, and I meant to ask who it was, and I don't know, but they put it on Facebook sometimes that they enjoy, they're a retired couple, an older couple, maybe more, more of you do that. Uh, they put together these huge puzzles, and they often, they work on it for days and days and days. It's something they do together. I just think that's really cool. Uh, so, who is it? Oh, okay. Is that who, somebody else? Did they do that too? This was somebody else. Okay. There may be, oh, okay. Okay. Uh, isn't that great? I mean, that, that sounds like fun to me, but you think, what are you talking about? How many pieces are in that puzzle? A thousand? Depends on what? Oh, dep yeah, it depends on who's doing it. Yeah, I understand that. That's a different story altogether. Uh, yes, uh, if you've got that piece you can't, that, that seems to fit nowhere, just, it doesn't matter. Uh, get rid of it. We can make it work. Uh, now, that's, a diff that's another sermon. Okay, that's another sermon. But it takes time. Which piece is important? All of them. So if you have one piece out, you still got a picture, and you still sort of figure out the picture, and maybe you can figure out the whole picture, but it's really not what it's supposed to be, is it? That one little piece. Now, I know that I, I give silly illustrations. I can't help it. That's just who I am. But... As I've said before, you've got the misfortune or the good fortune of having the dumbest teacher on the planet. I only know one thing to explain something. Super simple. Who remembers the, the parable, not parable, the fable, the princess and the pea? Anybody remember that, the princess and the pea? Remember all those mattresses they stacked up in that cartoon version? And she couldn't sleep. Why? But it was that big. It was a little bitty. So I want you to think about that almost in reverse. One tiny element missing, one tiny part of God's Word missing from one part of my life. Does it matter? Absolutely, teetotally, 100% matters. So the idea is, how long does it take to put that thousand piece together? A long time. God's plan for us sometimes takes years in the unfolding. Who has read the same passage of Scripture for the, uh, and this is not a real word, but I guarantee you somebody in this room knows exactly what it means, the umpteenth time? Anybody know? Okay. That man from Tishomingo County, that's where that word originated. Umpteenth time, which means how many times? A bunch of times. A bunch. 
How many of you have read a verse for the umpteenth time and realized a connection that you'd never realized before? Anybody? I have. I have. Because I realized I was at a point now that I could see that where I hadn't before. Or there were other pieces that had come together that wasn't there before. And I think, wow, how powerful God is when he does that. But grant me the... God's word will produce that, per, that totality, that completeness. But number three, verse 35, God's word produces joy. It produces joy. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. I delight in it. Um, that word delight in the Hebrew literally means to be, it's a verb that means to be pleased with somebody else or to take delight in something or someone. So I think about it from that perspective. David said that, lead me in the path of your commandments because they fill me full of happiness. I delight in them. I, I, I enjoy and love uh, to embrace the Word of God because of what it does to me and for me and how I see God, how I see you through it. That fills me full of happiness. Have you ever been in a place in your life that makes me, I think of Philippians 4 and verse 4, which is also a verb, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul emphasized for whatever reason was on his mind at that moment, but through inspiration he emphasized to us rejoice. On purpose, be happy. All of us. Well, no, I can't be that judge. Maybe not. Maybe you didn't. But many of us, I say us, me first, went through times in our lives when, and I'm going to say this, it's true, uh, and Lisa can attest to that. We, uh, in my, probably my 20th and 21st year of existence on planet Earth, uh, I went to, before going to preacher school, and um, I went through a period of time that uh, I, I went, I got up, Brother Jim, and went to services and sat where my mama could see me. And I did that for one, one reason only, because, it, so, because if I didn't, she would be upset with me. Uh, and she would be at my house. I know this for a fact because I slept in one morning and she was in my, I don't know how she got in the house, uh, was standing over me. I know this, okay? You know my mama. Uh, but the th oh, I forgot. She's listening. I love you, Mama. Uh, uh, but the truth is, I went for a time, and you said, well, that was bad that you went. Well, I realize now God was still working on me. But I went because I didn't want, I'm going to go because I have to. But after a while, God turned that into something else. So he turned it into joy. Now, if, if I'm, I'm not getting any, did I get anything out of that worship? No. Did God, was he praised that day? Not through me. But God was working other things, just like he did with many, many, many other characters that we read about in the Bible. But had that become my long-term attitude? Had that become who I was, that I kept coming? Because, to be honest, it's just more trouble than it's worth to deal with Mama. I'm just going to go. Would I have truly been God's servant? No. 
Would I have been who I was supposed to be? No. The Word of God is not supposed to be something that we begrudge. It's not supposed to be something that we obey. We obey it, but, oh, man, what a drag. But instead, David said, lead me in the path of your commandments because I get excited about it. I am full of joy when I learn more about how to serve God in His truth. And that's the Word of God. It's what it's supposed to do. Number four, God's Word provides priority in my life. Look at verses 36 and 37. Priority. Incline my ears. Or incline, not my ears, I'm sorry, wrong verse. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Now, as I look at the uh, English Standard Version reading of that particular text, Tell me what the word selfish means to you, or the word worthless, whichever one comes to mind first. What does the word selfish mean to you in everyday living, or the word worthless? Okay, this cone of silence is making me look bad. Serving, hmm? Yeah, only serving one person, and that person is me, right? If I'm selfish, I've got my desires. Uh, what makes me happy? You know, what works for me? Have you ever dealt with someone? Please, no names. I'm, I remember, I work, with teen, I work with teenagers. They'll tell you the whole story. I don't want the whole story, please. But you ever had to deal with or work with somebody that was as helpful and as uh, um, 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 congenial and as accommodating as they could be? as long as it was in their best interest, as long as it did not circumvent their wants and needs. You ever had to deal with somebody like that? You know, that works until it doesn't, right? Um, that self... Now, what does worthless mean? Hmm? Breathing up good air. Ooh, that's a little harsh. Yeah, well, that's... No, that's true. Um... The idea of something that's worthless doesn't have any value, does it? At least not long term. It, it does not hold any real value. Okay. Look at how it's used in the words in the verse again. Incline my heart to your testimonies. There that is again. Lean me toward your truth. Filling me full of it and not to selfish gain. So look at the contrast. I am inclined to listen to what you have to say, which includes my motives, which includes my questions, which includes my decisions, which includes everything, and not to the selfish view of those things. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Matthew chapter 6. Admittedly, this is one of the passages that um, I continue to study because it, uh, I, I want to understand it better. I'm not sure I fully understand this passage. You said, well, that's easy. It is, but yet I think it goes much deeper than I've managed to go. But in Luke 16, 19 through 24, 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the eye, or the lamp of the body, well, the, lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he, will, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money, or mammon, as the King James says. Now, we often read 19 through 21, and we read 24. But we don't read 22 and 23. The eye... It's the lamp of the body. The eye is healthy. The body's full of light. Of course, he's being metaphorical, or better, I think, to say spiritual. The idea is if the things that catch our eye, the things that hold our attention, if they are good, will be full of good. If they are heavenly, will be full of heaven. If they are not, then... We won't be bad. If your eye is darkness, you'll be full of darkness. What do you mean by that? If your eye is bad, I'll be filling myself up with things that are not eternal. How do you know that? Well, the context. Lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt. In other words, anything wrong with a car? You've heard preachers say this before. Anything wrong with having a car? No. Yeah, um... Uh, but it's wrong, somebody's going to say, well, it's wrong to uh, covet somebody else's car. Well, true. Say that to somebody sometime. It's not, one time I said, it's not good for you to say you, you wish you had their car. You know? uh, and that person said to me, okay, you're right, I'm sorry. I wish I had their car and they had a better one. Okay, you're headed in the right direction. We'll work on that later. Uh, okay, um, the idea there is that what's your priority? Not the, this verse 33, if you go um, um, in Matthew 6, talks about seek first the kingdom of God, if you keep reading. But not that priority. The, the priority of the things that are most important to you. The priority of the things that fill your heart and guide your feet and fill your... Are they the things that are from God and for God and leading you back to God? Yes, sir. Selfish gain with worthless things. He is equating his own selfishness with worthlessness. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it makes, I'm sorry, did I interrupt? And that goes perfectly with the last verse that I had written down, which is 2 Timothy, not Timothy, 2 Peter 3. And we know what verses 9 through 12 say, and we won't read all of that for time's sake. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens... You read all of what they're going to melt, going to dissolve. And then it says the, work, the, the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. All of that passage is a great study, but it is that one phrase that I think goes back to 
um, what you were talking about and this particular verse, you know, turn me away from the selfishness of, of what uh, me meeting my needs for my own purpose, my own way, and, and surrounding my, myself with things that do that, they are worthless. Why are they worthless? Because in the end, they rust, they fade, they corrupt, or, or they're wrong to begin with, sinful to begin with. But either way, at the end of time, at the end of everything, the works that are therein shall be burned up. Whatever it is that is the most important thing to you. I used to have a, a long discussion, believe it or not, and, and if, it's wrong, if it was wrong, then I'll, I'll ask forgiveness. But especially in talking about those uh, people who the, had the fire, they're students of mine. Uh, one was a former student, students. And th in thinking about that, We've always had, have you ever had the discussion with your wife if, if the house was on fire in the middle of the night, what's the first thing you'd grab, first thing you'd get? You know, the children are out and everything's out, but you could get one physical thing. And I'll be honest, for a long time, I had more than I could carry. Because there were, you know, the heirlooms and this, and I wanted to, get, I wanted to grab a whole bunch of stuff. But, you know, the older I've got, I don't know if it's I just can't carry them anymore, or I just don't care. I think it's the latter. That, you know, I would really hate to lose my granddaddy's Bible, but Lord willing, I'm going to get to see him on these days. So it really doesn't matter if I got his Bible or not. Now, do you see the difference in that thought process? That's the thought process, in my humble opinion, of that passage. Is that you turn my heart through your truth to the point that I understand what is worth something and what isn't. Now, I'm determined that we finish these. Number five, God's word produces confirmation in my life. Now, that's an interesting passage. Confirmation. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Confirm to your servant. That's what the ESV says. This idea of confirmation, that Hebrew word literally means establish. Establish. King James just uses the word establish. That means to establish, to build up, to um, um, build together. Now, when I look at uh, Romans chapter 16 and verse 25, Paul said, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now, to him who is able to what? Strengthen you. That word is establish you. Same word. Establish or establish you. To, to build you, to confirm you, to hold you together. And now, for time's sake, I wish I could read more, but turn to Romans chapter 1. I just want to give you a thought, plan a thought that I hope will make you study some more. Romans 1, and think about what David said here, confirm to your servant your promise. Now, he's not saying... Show me so I get it the way I want to get it. No, that's not what it says. But confirm to your servants your promise that you may be feared. In Romans chapter 1, we often... Let's start reading about verse 18. We won't read all of this, I promise. You say, oh, we're going to read about that, uh, that list of sinful people. No we're, no, we're really not. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness 
and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his visible attributes, or his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Okay, for although they knew God, and then we could continue reading. They're without excuse because, and I just have to do this very quickly, God confirms himself to us through his power. He does it through his truth. Uh, His word is what created the world. And folks, when you see that sunrise and that sunset, that's a reminder that God's word, the, the very, the other day, I saw a rainbow, uh, you know where the um, uh, logging place is on Highway 30, the lumber yard? They've got all that wetting, that uh, pine down, and I came through and the sun was, in the afternoon, was shining just through it, and there were rainbows everywhere. And when I'm reminded that God is the uh, author of the rainbow, and it's his promise planted in his word and all the things that go with it. When I see a young man sitting where he was sitting this morning and saying what he said, that's confirmation that God's word is still doing its thing. Just like he promised that it would. So he confirms through his truth. But then number six, and then I'll stop. Now, either I started my timer too late or I see people moving. I still got three minutes according to my watch. Uh, But last, in verses 39 through 40, God's word produces motivation. Motivation. What's motivation? Motivation. So, I like that. Something that gets you going, okay? Uh, uh, I told uh, somebody at school the other day that I suffer from chronic motivatus defunctus. And I think I'm having a flare-up. Because if, sometimes our motivation just kind of wanes, doesn't it? Well, spiritually it's true. Notice what David said, Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness give me life. Now, yes, you could say he was talking about eternal life, and certainly that's included. But the idea... In your righteousness, give me life. Help me live life. Help me be the life that you want me to be. Well, doesn't Romans 1, verse 17 tell us that the righteousness of God is found in the gospel? Yes. And the righteousness of God that's found in the truth, I recognize them in good. I long for your precepts. Nobody has to make me. Nobody has to remind me. I long. I can't wait. I am motivated to fill myself with the Word of God and to live by the Word of God. I'm motivated to do that. Now, this may not be a very good illustration, and I don't mean to offend, but it's always caught my... I remember it for some reason. Uh, it, it just it talks about motivation. But an older couple were getting ready for bed, and... Uh, the old man's noticed lights, flashlights at his shop. He had a lot of expensive tools and tractors and such down at the barn or the shop. And he called the local law enforcement and said, there are people breaking into my barn. I need you to come down here immediately. And they said, we're sorry, we don't have anybody available. 
So he hangs up. He scratches his head, and he picks it back up, and he dials, and he said, uh, Yes, um, there are people breaking into my barn. I shot them. And he hung up. And within two minutes, there were fire trucks, uh, EMS vehicles, law enforcement rolling from both directions, the blue lights. They jumped out, and they caught them in the act and arrested them. And the lead officer said, Wait a minute, I thought you said you shot them. And he said, Well, I thought you said you didn't have anybody available. So motivation goes a long way. Now, when you take that to heart, though, our motivation for loving God's Word so much that nobody has to prime us or remind us, we're just excited about living it. Uh, That makes a difference. Thank you very much for listening tonight. I, I hope that... Uh, now, for those of you who know me well, we got through all six. You probably should write that down because that is not like the date that happened because that doesn't happen very much. Lord willing, we'll look at the next eight verses. Uh, students, I mean students, teachers, parents, thank you. Parents, you may go get your children. Parents, go get your children.